and welcome back to another episode of Author Conversations presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster. This week we explore bizarre history of the Bluegrass State with author Kevin McQueen. From ghost towns to circus performers to mass hysteria, the Bluegrass State is no stranger to the strain. Three stories of famed President Abraham Lincoln that you've never heard before. Find possible solutions to the mystery of Pearl Brine's missing head and decipher the outrageous hoaxes involving an unsolvable puzzle. Learn about the time when the author wrote to Charles Manson as a joke and Manson wrote back. Not one, but four times. Join author Kevin McQueen as he recounts some of the weirder vignettes from Kentucky lore. Kevin McQueen was born in Richmond, Kentucky in 1967. He has degrees in English from Berea College and Eastern Kentucky University and is a senior lecturer in composition and world literature at EKU. He has written 19 books on history, supernatural, historical true crime, biography, and many strange topics, covering nearly every region of the United States. In addition, he has made many appearances on radio, podcast, and television. Look him up on Facebook or at KevinMcQueenStories.com. That's K-E-V-E-N McQueenStories.com. Kevin, thanks for being on. You've gathered an eclectic mix of stories for this book. How did you go about collecting these stories? Is it through research? Are you lucky enough to have them told to you? Is it a mixture of both? Well, only the last story in the book is something that actually happened to me personally. The rest of the stories come from going through old newspapers on microfilm, primarily the Louisville Courier-Journal. I've been going through pretty much every single issue, starting with 1877 up to 1939. And I'm currently now going through the papers from the 1830s to the 1870s. Wow. And how did you get interested in storytelling and collecting different types of hidden and little-known stories from history? Well, I've always been a history buff, especially history that you can't really find easily in standard books of history. So I'm always looking for something that's strange, unusual, out of the way, a different take on the stories you usually hear. Yeah, I've always liked those kind of stories, too, because I kind of feel like sometimes, you know, the history stories can be kind of flat. And this kind of gives it that more of a, you know, yeah, 3D brings it out more, uh, gives it more color, if you will, when you have these kind of background stories to a historical, a his, you know, to history. And you oh, have I've more always personal. Yeah. Yeah, I've always thought if you tell a history story and it's not interesting or if it's boring, you didn't do it the right way. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be history. We, I think it's because, you know, I grew up around history. Then also, you know, I had a couple of really good history teachers who made, you know, history, not just a bunch of facts, of, you know, dates that you had to memorize and made it an actual interesting story. So I was really thankful to have that growing up. Oh, I always thought of it as sort of the study of people, what people do and what people think at particular times. So to me, history isn't just places, dates and significant, even, you know, significant figures from history are very interesting. But Mm -hmm. sometimes the secondary figures, even unknown figures are very interesting. Oh, yeah. I mean, even when you're starting off the book, you started off the book with many interesting stories about the 16th president, Abraham Lincoln. And I enjoyed reading them, and you know there were many I had not heard. Uh, can you tell us a couple of your favorite Lincoln stories? Well, uh, by and large, these are stories that, again, I found in the old newspapers. So you hear a lot about Lincoln. Thousands of books have been written about Lincoln, but I wanted some stories that were not very well known, things that people may not have heard before. 
So there are stories uh, basically going back from almost before he was born until after his death. There's a pretty interesting story, at least I think it is, about the, um, I guess you'd call it the 19th century equivalent of Air Force One. It was a, a super reinforced locomotive that he traveled on. Then after his death, the train was just abandoned by the wayside and uh, basically fell to pieces. I think it was in Chicago for a while. Oh, yeah, that old Pullman car. And, you know, that was kind of interesting to me, too, because, you know, one of my favorite, you know, shows and just because, you know, I really liked the idea of the Transcontinental Railroad and learning about that time in history right after the Civil War. And that's why I really like that show, Hell on Wheels. You know, obviously oh, right. It's not, I remember it. It's not a historical, you know, uh, factual show, but it's still from an interesting time in our history. But they did have Durant in that show. And, you know, Durant had that Pullman car for a while. And I thought that was really cool that you included his name and him having ownership of that car in the book, uh, you know, with that story of the, of the uh, president's yeah, car. I hadn't even made that connection. But, yeah, it's actually there. Yeah, it's just it's really neat. You know, one of my favorite Lincoln stories you had in the book was about the couple. Uh, that came to the White House to get married. I thought that was really neat. Uh, well, that was really a cute story, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, you just didn't, you know, think about the president uh, doing things like that. But there was a lot of, you know, when you get to know more about Lincoln, a lot of homey kind of stories, you know, about him like that, where he had all this stress, you know, of the world and the country coming apart on him. But he took, it seemed like he took time for little things like that. I'd read before that until he was assassinated, there was strangely little security surrounding presidents. Uh, pretty much anybody could go to the White House, and if they passed muster with the guard at the door, they were let in. And this story is a good example. Uh, the couple just showed up. They wanted a good place to get married. They thought the White House was as good a place as any. The guard let them in, and that's where they got married. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, security was lax even the night he got assassinated. I, I think his guard was drinking next door. Yeah, and he had only one guard. Yeah. Well, so it's, thankfully, it's a lot different today when yeah. it comes to presidential security. And, you know, moving on, though, here in South Carolina, I don't know if you know it or not, but we have the Lizard Man. And oh, we have you know, the sightings of Bigfoot. Although, if you research a Lizard Man, it just sounds like something a kid made up because he missed curfew. Uh, when you get to learn more about it. But we do have the Lizard Man and sightings of Bigfoot, but it feels like everybody has Bigfoot stories in their state. Um, but every state has a mysterious creature of some sort or an unexplained being. Uh, you, though, introduced me to one I've never heard of. And honestly, he's creepier than the Lizard Man. And I speak of the Blue Man. Can you give us a bit oh. of an introduction to him? Well, the Blue Man of Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, yeah, you're right. States always have their own mysterious Fordian creature, like Mothman, for example. But the Blue Man seems to be pretty unique because most of the time they're they're located out in the forests and in the wilds. But this one turned up in the middle of a major city. Uh, there was a street or two in Louisville in the 1920s where the residents kept seeing a blue man who was impervious to gunfire, who found ways of sneaking into their houses. So probably a mass hysteria story, but it's really quite funny. Yeah. And creepy at the same time. It is creepy. And then some of the stories with them, like if everybody it seemed to add like a little bit more to them. It kind of makes you wonder if somebody was going around and scratching on windows and things of that nature too. But there are also some detailed accounts 
of him in the book also. And the fact that he's in, you know, he had people shooting at him and he's, you know, you did say impervious to gunfire and uh, he stole a guy's pants at one point. He stole some like, pants, yeah. yeah. It was like pers- uh, a being who what, is impervious what, to gunfire stealing pants for. You know? <laughs> what kind of monster steals pants? <laughs> I don't know. So it's a really strange story. Some of the details seem kind of credible. Some are preposterous. Some of it was probably practical jokes once the story really got underway. But if anything else, it's a very interesting story about mass hysteria and people's reactions to a strange rumor that they've heard. Yeah. I mean, you see that even today, if somebody sees a strange light in the sky, they can't, you know, explain there's going to be people who add to it because they might've seen it, but then oh, right, they, right. they'll add on to that also. Um, Suddenly you know, everyone sees it. Yeah. And uh, then they'll say, Oh, I saw that too. And somebody adds that they like, they, maybe they saw the light do something a little bit different than, Oh, I saw that too. And it did this. Um, you know, yeah, the later stories tend to be less credible, but you always have to wonder about the first person. Yeah. I don't know if I would want to be that first. If I saw it first, I might just let somebody else come out with it. <laughs> <laughs> let someone else take credit. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if I want that credit or not. Uh, something else that was fun, kind of reminded me of trick-or-treating, but a little bit different. And something I'm glad didn't happen on my wedding night. Uh, a shivery. <laughs> The shiveries. Yeah. It can be good humored or violent. Can you give us a little introduction to that? Well, it's an old fashioned custom that has died out. Thank God. Mm -hmm. But at the time it was extremely popular. And now I'm going through newspapers from the 1850s and I'm still finding stories about them. But uh, basically a shivery was a couple would get married and they would go home to their honeymoon, but then neighbors and friends would gather around the house and they'd shout and scream and, play discordant musical instruments and they wouldn't leave unless they got a drink or a treat. And even then sometimes they didn't leave. And as might be expected, people got a little aggravated newlyweds with this sort of treatment. And there was often violence because they would shoot at the shivery members. And uh, the book contains examples from all over the U S but in particular, some Kentucky stories. You know, we've touched on some of the, a few subjects in the book. One of the subjects that really, you know, I, I guess it's kind of how, it reminded me of how, you know, when, you know, a show or something comes through town, people are always kind of suspect of the people with the traveling show. And that's, you know, when you were talking about the Wild West shows that would come through town and some of the uh, crimes around them, that's, that was very interesting to me. But also, I didn't realize there were so many offshoots of uh, uh, Buffalo Bill Wild West show. Uh, that was oh. something I didn't know before. Yeah, he made a fortune. So, of course, all these other showmen said, well, if he can take Indians and horses and parade them through cities, we can do it, too, and make money. But a lot of the time, the shows, as you mentioned, would they brought they, they, they were almost traveling criminals sometimes. They would provide entertainment, but at the same time, they'd be picking pockets and even worse things. No, yeah, definitely. And you, that's, uh, you can read all about that in the book. I don't want to give it away. But you have missing persons, a murder in the graveyard, circus wrecks, circus performers, a very famous circus performer actually in the book, um, uh, the Wild West performers behaving badly, 
And you even, uh, your last chapter is all about how you became accidentally in a way because you did it just as a one-off thinking you wouldn't get an answer back. Accidental pen pals with Charles Manson for a little bit. Uh, the book has just about everything. Is it hard to limit what you put into the book? It really was. Um, I had a whole lot of true, true crime chapters that just simply wouldn't fit. The book would have been maybe about twice as long as it is. So I had to cut a lot of material. But it's just stuff I can save for another book later. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, a true crime book from Kentucky would be pretty easy to sell, I think. Oh, it would be very easy to write, too, because there's so much to choose from. Well, I want to say thanks for joining me today and taking a little bit of your time on this Wednesday. And, uh, of course, when this comes out, it will be a Monday. But I appreciate okay. it. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. I appreciate it, too. Thank you for calling. Yes, sir. Thanks again, Kevin, and thank you, the audience, for listening. Bizarre Bluegrass will be available wherever local books are sold beginning August 17th, 2020, and is available now for pre-order at ArcadiaPublishing.com. I want to thank Jay and Bill's Unnamed Project for the show's theme song. You can check them out on Facebook by searching for Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project. If you have questions for future episode ideas, you can reach me by email at ArcadiaAuthorConversations at gmail.com. I'll talk with you again soon.